Let peace of Christ rule up all in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Especially as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdoms through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it deserves a round of applause. Thank you very much indeed. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We could do with some uh, peace in our world today, right? Uh, and not only could we do with some peace in the world, I think often we could do with some peace in our own hearts. Because what happens in the world and what happens around us affects what's going on inside. And we're going to be talking about peace today. We're going to be talking about unity. We're going to be talking about song. We're going to be talking about Jesus. And the second part of our short series, why do we sing here in church, in congregations? Why do we sing as much as everything else uh, we do? So we're going to be here talking about peace, talking about uh, Jesus and the message of Christ. We're talking about songs and different kinds of songs and singing. And we're going to be talking about how this all fits together with God as Father and as Spirit and as Son, uh, all working uh, together. Uh, where are we? Just to give you a bit of geography in the book of Colossians, in case you're not aware of where Coloss Colossae is. It's, it's part of Asia Minor as it was, Turkey today. That's the uh, general area. And a little bit closer in, a little bit closer in, the E there marks Ephesus, the port city on the coast. Uh, the L marks Laodicea, which was like a sister church to the church in Colossae. And the C marks Colossae. They were like twin uh, churches. Uh, twin cities in many ways, they were actually connected by a water pipe, uh, which we'll talk about perhaps another time when we look at the book of Revelation, which talks about uh, Laodicea and Colossae and other churches. Uh, but that's where we are in the world. In the first century, things looked a bit different uh, to how uh, they do today. It was a thriving city of its day. But today there's rubble there and a few stones knocked over. And that's about it. The same in Ephesus, effectively, uh, and most of those places where there were churches in the first century. So let's, uh, let's dig in uh, here uh, to this book. By the way, um, the church in Colossae was made up of house churches. We know that from the book of Philemon, where Paul writes to a church in Colossae, which is Philemon's house church. <coughs> Excuse me, those house churches would have had 30 to 50 members or so. You'd say that's a big house. Yeah, but in that weather, in that climate, you can meet in a courtyard. And often they'd have a, court, a number of, of rooms surrounding a courtyard. And so most of it, the church services in the first century were probably held outside in a courtyard area where you could fit 30 to 50 people. And in fact, wow, where's that slide gone? It's not there, okay, never mind. Uh, in fact, that's roughly the same size as we could probably fit in here, right? So when we're talking about the church in Colossae, it may have been a collection of house churches, and one of them would have been probably about the size of this uh, grouping here today. It's a place of the world where many gods were worshiped. Uh, a lot of pagan deities, and in the bigger context of the book of Colossians, just so you know, Paul is very concerned about the fact that the Colossian Christians are getting tempted to worship Jesus because he's awesome and maybe primary amongst all these gods around them. But these other gods deserve some respect. And so that's one of the reasons why when you read the book of Colossians, you see Paul making such a big deal out of how amazing and different and unique Jesus is. He's not first amongst a big group. He is unique and the only one of his, of his kind. And if you want to understand a bit, think a bit more about what Paul's on about, even with the singing we're talking about today, you certainly want to have a look at the rest of the book of Colossians. There's some tremendous, tremendous stuff there. So what does Paul want from the Colossians? What does he want 
from them? What does he want for them? Let's think about this before we talk about the singing. I think he has a vision. He has a vision of them and for them. And I think we also share, I hope, uh, today. And I think God does share uh, with us for today. And that's that the Colossians have a new identity. They are not what they were. Formerly, they were some kind of people. And now they're a different kind of people with new values. They don't have the values they had before they followed Christ. They don't have the same values as the world around them. They have a unity which is forged on something more than just they like being together, something much deeper. They therefore have a peace within them as a person, but also as a community that the world will look at things strange and envy. And they have a love which is deep and covers over a multitude of sins. They're able to forgive one another because of the love of Christ in them. And his forgiveness for them means they are eager and willing and able to forgive one another and their focus is God, not themselves. I'm just going to refer earlier in the chapter to verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, because of Christ being in you, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And you say, yeah, that, that makes sense. We wouldn't think Christians should behave like this. But in the context, at least he's hinting at the idea that perhaps this is how the Colossians sometimes were acting towards one another in the church. Because he goes on to say, verse 9, do not lie to each other. It's a challenge for us to so change our behavior to be like Christ that we don't act in the way we used to in friendships. We act in a different way amongst our brothers and sisters. If first century Christians occasionally lied to one another, we should get used to the idea that perhaps even in here, we might lie to one another and be a victim of somebody else's deceit. He says, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see the vision of Paul there. You're becoming more like your creator. More like your creator, your new self. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, we don't, we, we're all from different backgrounds here. We're from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We're from different cultures. We're from different countries. I mean, uh, I don't know exactly how many countries we have here, but several African countries are represented uh, um, from south to, to north and east to west, uh, several parts of the British Isles. Uh, we've got uh, Ireland represented uh, I, and, uh, and South America represented. And um, I'm not looking around. I'm not quite sure. We've got uh, the Indian subcontinent represented. Uh, and we've got Hong Kong and, and that part of the world represented. Sorry if I'm missing anybody else, any continent or... Uh, the Netherlands represented, okay? So we've got uh, pretty much everything, right, represented here. And those, those differences are real in one sense, and they enrich us, but we are not in camps. Like, I, I'm in this camp, I'm in that camp. We're one people, old and young, some of us older, still struggling with breath after that singing, and others of us younger. We are one in Christ. We're meant to be together. Therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, this is how we are to be together, compassion, 
compassionate towards people who are hurting in the congregation. Kind, humble, gentle, patient. Those things are easy when you're not tested. It's easy to be patient until somebody is standing on your foot. Metaphorically, I'm talking about. It's easy to be kind until you've been wronged. It's easy to be humble until you're falsely accused. Church life isn't easy, my friends. And in some ways, it's no easier than it is out in the world. Out in the world, you can just forget your friends. If they offend you, you can just cut them off. Even your own children, if you don't like them, you could always cut them out of your will. I mean, I wouldn't suggest that, Becky, with Mulligan. I, I, I would suggest that. But you, you, can, you can choose and lose your friends, right? The thing is, in church, you really don't get that option. And so we have to learn something that's harder than the world. It's why we need Jesus, isn't it? It's also why we need each other to help us with this when we struggle. Gosh, it's hard sometimes. Forgive, I'll say it's bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, in other words, in the church, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's a command, but it's also an inspiration. My word. He's forgiven me this much. I, okay, that's my inspiration to forgive others. And over all these virtues, put on love. Love binds them together. Love binds us together. Love binds us more than teachings. It binds us more than common ground. It binds us more than whether we agree on everything. I'm not suggesting all these other things aren't important, but it's love that binds together because love is the heart of God, isn't it? Love and truth, but love is what binds them together in perfect unity. You'll notice that the unity is talking about is not agreement on everything. It's a relational unity. One that's hard fought, hard gained through difficulty and through offense and through annoyance with each other and through hurting and even sinning against one another. But the unity comes through that as we learn to treat each other like Christ has treated and does treat us. And then he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Be thankful even for the trials, even for the difficulties. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through, and we're going to get to the song, singing bit in a moment here, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, or more accurately, I think, translated spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, this is all these things he's talked about, word and deed, the forgiving each other, the bearing with each other, the, the, and then the admonishing and teaching through songs. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it for him, because of him. Giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. So this is what Paul's vision is for these people. And what will it look like? What does it look like? What does putting this into practice look like when we gather? And I'd just like to give you, a, I suppose, a high-level view of this, I suppose, as best I can, without going into all the detail we could in this passage. He's saying when we gather on a Sunday, and wherever we gather, actually, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you. 
that the message of Christ dwell among you. Now, traditionally, you might think, well, that's about the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. And there is a connection. But I don't think that's the core of what he's on about here. He's talking about the logos, the word of God, mentioned uh, as being effectively Jesus. It's, it's Christ, Christ's presence with them. It's his presence filling them personally and as a body. It's creating, if you like, a Christ-like zone. When we gather, because each of us has some elements more of Christ than others, some of us are more naturally patient, some of us are more naturally humble, uh, but we're not all equally strong in everything. We don't have everything, right? But that means that when we gather, we more accurately represent Christ to the world when we're together. We're creating a Christ-like zone, a real-time experience of the gospel. This is gospel together. This is good news together. This is kingdom right here when we gather. We take it with us into the world, but gathering is something different uh, about that, about the depth, the quality, and the breadth of it. Uh, you'll be familiar with the idea of certain uh, zones. Uh, it's nice to have a smoke-free zone, isn't it? Uh, I, that's rather more pleasant than being, being in the opposite. Sometimes you need a quiet zone. Parents wish they could enforce this at times in their own home. Uh, but perhaps sometimes on a train, you'll have a quiet coach, and those are the coaches I always like to try and sit on, uh, even though sometimes they are ignored, uh, the instructions. Uh, or possibly you rather would like to have a judgment-free zone, uh, not only in church, but in many uh, other places. Fair enough. But you know, when we come together in this hall, and the hall where we meet doesn't matter, but when Christians gather, this, if it could have a, a sticker, a, a sign or something, or, a, you know, what kind of zone is this? This is a Christ-like zone. That's what we're aiming for. Something that then encourages us and helps other people who don't know Christ to catch a vision of what their lives could be, of what Jesus is really, is really, really like. So he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So let him be centered here and let him dwell richly. And the, the grammar of this is very complicated. I'm no grammar expert, but it seems to indicate dwelling richly seems to indicate that the, 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 the experience of Christ together that we have and the singing that, it, that results from that. So we bring a little bit of Christ with us. Together, we have more of Christ. The fullness of that Christ likeness all being here together means that we sing. So in the NIV, it translates it to, it says, uh, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another in song. But actually, it's probably not the right, quite the right translation. It's not as you sing, you're creating that Christ-likeness. It's more, this Christ-likeness is with you when you come together. You're ready to celebrate it. As a result of that, sing. Because you have Christ with you, because you have Christ with you, because this is a Christ-like zone, and you, you know it, and you experience it by being together, by living in this way that he talks about here, because that's a reality, and because Christ is here and with you, of course you're going to sing, and in your singing, you're going to reinforce what you believe. What you, no better than that, you're going to reinforce what you know. You know Christ, and you know he's here. And the singing flows from that to reinforce all of this as you then teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I, I, they are different categories, but I don't think they're meant to be uh, in like boxes. Like this is a psalm, that's a song, that's a, 
it, it's more about the different time, kinds of genre of songs as we sing different kinds of songs. Some are more choruses, children's songs, some hymns, and so on. As you sing all these different kinds of songs, sing them as an expression of and helping one another to be reinforced and strengthened in your convictions and your beliefs. So I think it's a bit like this. Let me suggest uh, a couple of ideas, and I'd like to know uh, what, what you think. What's singing got to do with, with all of what we've been talking about? I think singing helps us to reflect on the fact that we know God, and together we know God, uh, all of us together, and we know Christ. And I think that as we listen to, uh, and this is what we're going to experiment with next week, the idea is something like this. You've heard something, and you think, that could be useful for us to sing because it connects with what I see in this lesson, or perhaps as a congregation. Something's happened. You know, it might be something as, uh, as significant as a new birth. Uh, somebody's had a baby in the congregation, and that might make you think of a certain song. It might be an event like that. Or it could be the sense of a need in our congregation. Perhaps you sense we need more prayer. Perhaps you sense we need more of the work of the Spirit. Perhaps you sense we need more compassion with one another. Perhaps you sense, I don't know what, you know, what do we sense together as a congregation? And they'll be helpful to us personally and collectively. I think it's a bit like this. Um, somebody uh, contacted me online this week. I was corresponding with a chap I've, I've come to know called Kyle. And I was corresponding with him about something. And he sent back a message saying that was very helpful and so on. And, and, and because I know of a situation he's been through, I said, there's a book I read a few years ago I think you'd really like. It's called Power for God's Sake. And I sent him a reference to it and my own book summary of it. I sent that to him. And I sent him a book recommendation on the basis of something I know he's going through. Or uh, this morning, actually, I received an email from a chap called Alan Cunningham, who's one of our, in one of our congregations in the West Indies. And uh, they are uh, contemplating uh, recognizing teachers and uh, appointing deacons. And he asked me if I had any material I could send him on teachers and deacons. And I, saw, I said, yeah, I've got this book suggestion, and I've got this summary of a book on deacons I've got, I sent that to him, and so on. And I think it's a bit like that. It's somebody has a need, and we think, what would be useful? I know. Why not listen to this podcast? Why not read this book? Here's a website you might find useful. I think in a similar kind of a way, this is what Paul's talking about here. The congregation gather, and they're like, you know what? We need to sing this song today because it's meaningful for what we're going through. Or even individually, it could be this, this song, this hymn might actually help you. So let me ask you what you think for a minute. Okay, let's say that we need to pray more, or we need to pray with more faith, or we need to pray with more depth, or there's something about prayer that we need to just get hold of and grasp and grow in as a congregation. What songs come to mind? What might we sing? I'm testing you now. Okay, I know. Didn't give you any notice, but that's okay, yeah. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. Okay. That always makes me think of the power that we have access to. All right. The power we have access to in prayer. All right. Another suggestion. Prayer. Okay. Be still, my soul. Okay. And what else? Give thanks. Give thanks. Okay. The songs we sing connected with prayer. Interesting to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Excellent. About what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything we got in prayer. All right. What about mission? All right. Let's say we, we sense we need, a, we need to really get to grips with the mission. You know, what songs might help us with the mission? Stefan? Yeah. Stefan? Lead me to some song today. Old song, yeah. Shout to the Lord. God of battles, one some of us know. Yeah, yeah. Send us out in the power of the Spirit. We've seen Men that something. Men who dream. Mm, mm, mm. So let us go into the nation. Yep. Okay, it's a sending song going out. Yeah, the mission. What about love? Okay. Let's grow in love. Song, songs about love. Yep. The old rugged cross. Okay. Take a look at the mountain. Mm, tell me, what do you see? Okay. Yeah, okay. Amazing grace. He knows my name. He knows my name. Yeah. Love beyond measure. Jesus loves me. This I know. I've been redeemed. Old hymns, love divine or love's excelling. Yeah. Lost in wonder. Yeah, we're going to sing that. During communion today, so that's very appropriate. All right, love. What about trusting in God or faith? Trusting in God or faith? What psalms might help us to to uh, dwell on that and grow in that? What do you think? Trust, faith. How great thou art! He's great. Okay, we can trust him because of that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Say that again. Are you quite faithful one? Now, see, that's what I don't know. That's good. Okay. All right. I need to know that. All right. Oh. much for that. See, this is what we're going to do next week. <laughs> and this week. And this week. <laughs> yeah, so there are so many, when you start thinking about it, yeah? It is well with my song. All right. Akin. We have an anchor. No, you're right. That really does fit. Yeah, we know we, we can trust God. We've got that the anchor we need. Yeah. Yeah. Anchor for my soul. Okay, similar idea. Say that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. That it? Yeah. Blessed be the name. Is strong on that theme. He gives and takes away. Rock of ages. Rock of ages. Wade in the water. When peace is like a river. Oh, when peace is like a river. That's strong and that sort of trust and faith. Yeah, it is well with my soul. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. 
We could, you see, here's the thing is, yeah, it's going, isn't it? You see, once we start thinking, and I, I, I don't want to, um, I will put this just to sort of wrap up and, and so on. I don't want to give the impression there's a right or wrong way to do this exactly. Uh, we have this example from Ephesus last week, Ephesus 5, Ephesians 5. We have the example here with Colossians 3. It doesn't mean we have to do things the same way. It's not a command situationally. It's not for all time like you have to do it all exactly the same way. Right? That's not the point. But I think there is a point. Paul wouldn't write this. It wouldn't be here unless it was meaningful in some context that we use songs to help strengthen our faith and to teach each other, to admonish each other. There's something in that. And I just put this out for us all to think about and pray about. What does this mean to you? How might you utilize this? Maybe the next time someone's talking to you and saying, I'm having a struggle with this, that, and the other, you can say, well, have you thought about this song? Sometimes we might think about a scripture. Or more, more modern terms, we might think about a podcast or a book or a website. But how about a song? Have you sung through this song in your devotional time? Have you sat and reflected on it? Or would you like to sing it together? It might seem a bit strange. I once went to have a prayer time with a good friend of mine. Some of us would know Roy Carter. And uh, this is a long time ago when we lived in Ealing. And I went to just have a prayer time with him. And he said, Mal, can we, can we go for a walk for our prayer time rather than pray in the house? And I said, I said, sure, Roy, let's walk. We walk around the streets of Ealing. And he said, can we sing? I said, <clears throat> <laughs> So we're walking in the morning through the rush hour streets of people walking around in Ealing, which is crowded at the best of times, and he's singing, oh, Lord, prepare me. I still remember the song, because it was so <laughs> traumatic. Uh, <laughs> it is Roy singing. So if you don't know Roy, he's a professional musician, and uh, he used to be in the band Heatwave, for those of us who may remember them. And uh, so he's singing this, and I'm singing the ladies' part, because there's two parts, right? So he's singing, oh, Lord, prepare, oh, Lord, prepare, walking around singing this. I'm surprised we didn't get into local papers. Um, uh, but it was, but here's the thing, it was odd. It was odd. But I remember it. And it, I, I love Roy very much. We're, we're good friends. But it bonded us in a way that just praying and just talking, it did something else. And I know we all sing together here on a Sunday. We do. But I think if we sing more mindfully of why we're singing, it's, it's going to help us bond. It's going to create deeper unity. And on that note, I mean, next week we will do what I've already explained. But I would really like it, I really appreciate it, if generally in the weeks that follow, whether we do the same or not, if you have ideas of songs that are meaningful, not just your favorites, but which is fine, but actually you think could be helpful for us as a congregation to sing, then please do tell me or, or, or Danny or, or somebody who's often up here leading the singing, because it would be really helpful, I think, to be able to teach and admonish one another in song in a way that is relevant to uh, what's going on and what God uh, is doing here. So just to wrap up, and um, in a moment, Asagi is going to come pray for us before we take bread and wine. I think what's going on here overall is that God is encouraging them congregationally together to behave like Christ. 
And that's not particularly radical as a Christian, but that's the context is, come on, there's been some sin. There's been some, what can we say? Probably some immorality, some evil desires. There's been some filthy language, it looks like. There's been some deceit. Uh, there's been a, a lack of patience and a lack of forgiveness. You see, now come on, let's behave a bit more like Christ, shall we? And that's because you are new people with a new life. You've left all that behind. So come together and celebrate the centrality of Christ when you come together. That's he it, it is who is in the center of all this today. And let's create that Christ-like zone. And then let's let that flow into our singing. Sing songs together that are going to help us personally, but also congregationally to be strong in being that Christ-like zone. In the end, the focus is on God, not us, and not the singing. The focus isn't the singing, and it's not the songs. In verse 17, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing it because of him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He mentions the Spirit in verse 16. He mentions Jesus and the Father in verse 17. It's all really, it's all really about God. That's why we sing. Why do we sing? We sing because God. And that's it. Because God. He loves us. And we're going to take bread and wine, which is going to uh, remind us of how we have this access to God. That through Jesus we have forgiveness. And we have one who intercedes for us. We have one who died for us, who loves us. And that's why, again, that's why we sing. So, Sagi, would you like to come up and uh, lead that prayer for us? Thank you very much.